Welcome to the What We Lost podcast. At the height of the CSSG controversy, media eagerly fed on the opinions of politicians like Charlie Angus and Pierre Polyev, or pundits like Kate Bahian and Jesse Brown, while at the same time failing to seek out the perspectives of those with firsthand experience of the organization, like students and teachers. I'm Martin Luther King III, and this is the What We Lost podcast. This is the truth about WE's corporate partnerships and WE Day and how both benefited millions of youth and educators around the world. Open Floodgates Because of COVID, I fled New York where I live and practice law and spent much of the summer of 2020 in Toronto. This gave me more exposure to Canadian news coverage. For a while, it felt refreshing to hear stories about global affairs and pandemic response strategies that did not quickly devolve into the partisan rancor I'm used to hearing on U.S. cable networks. The feeling, however, did not last long. When it came to the so-called We Charity scandal, journalists seemed more interested in looking for ways to stir people's outrage than unpacking a complicated story so Canadians could understand all sides. In my view, the media tells stories in ever-expanding concentric circles. The initial story is the center, but if the public interest is sufficiently high, a new circle is created, and another one after that. Reporters and editors work to find fresh angles, and the circles continue to grow. Here, the initial story was simply about whether proper procedures had been followed in the awarding of the CSSG program. But the circle soon expanded well beyond that to encompass virtually every aspect of the charity's operations, from its corporate partnerships to its We Day lineups to its workplace culture. In the endless search for content, the media eagerly fed on the opinions of politicians like Charlie Angus and Pierre Polyev, or pundits like Kate Bahan and Jesse Brown, while at the same time failing to seek out the perspectives of those with first-hand experience of the organization, like students and teachers. In what seemed like the blink of an eye, the organization was being accused of horrendous acts, including manipulating children for the benefit of its corporate partners. A scandal that came out of nowhere was suddenly everywhere. In sojourns, out of my apartment to secure pandemic hot commodities like hand sanitizer and toilet paper, the headlines glared at me from every newsstand. COVID, we charity. COVID, we charity. When case counts, mercifully, albeit briefly, started dropping, and luxuries like barbers were open for business, I would lean back in the comfy leather chair and try to block out the noise of other patrons 
sounding off on why Justin Trudeau had handed a pile of money to those shady brothers who paid his mom. Group chat messages with friends would quickly turn from commiseration over COVID to shock when people realized I was on the board of the charity. It seemed like Canadians were talking about little else. Looking for respite, I suggested to my fiancé that we escape for a few days to a spa outside the city. Work at my law firm was very busy. There were calls day and night with We Charity board members and executives, and we'd not been out for so much as a dinner in months. I thought she deserved a break. She said it was a good idea because I really needed to chill out, which is code for you've become insufferable. So off we went. We checked in, and I was determined to relax and find solace. That didn't happen, of course. I spent most of our two-day stay on the phone with other board members and lawyers in constant effort to put out fires for we. It was the same all-hands-on-deck dilemma I had been immersed in for weeks. Only now, I was wearing a robe and slippers. Go to your massage appointment, my fiancé commanded. It's the only way you're going to get away from your phone for an hour. A professional masseuse? Tension relief? Peace and quiet? She didn't have to sell me on the idea. It sounded like the perfect tonic. I headed off and was ready to finally unwind for a few precious moments. As I stretched out on the massage table, I thought I would probably fall asleep within seconds. But regrettably, my masseuse wanted to make small talk. Her first volley, how about that We Charity scandal, eh? Corporate Dollars In its February 2021 documentary on We Charity, the Fifth Estate zeroed in on Craig's 1999 appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show as a key turning point in the trajectory of what was then still Free the Children. With 16-year-old Craig sitting beside her on stage, Winfrey pledged to work with him to build a hundred schools in underdeveloped countries around the world. She would feature the charity on her show four more times, including once to announce the launch of O Ambassadors, a joint program to empower low-income North American students to help others. Instead of viewing these sometimes marginalized kids as problems to be solved, she wanted them to become problem solvers. It was undoubtedly a decisive moment. Winfrey's commitment to the charity was generous, but even more than that, the platform she gave to Craig was transformative. Free the Children was launched into the stratosphere and suddenly had the potential to change the lives of more people than Craig and Mark had ever dared to imagine. Of course, Winfrey's gift, as extravagant as it was, had to be matched by similar gifts from other equally wealthy and influential people to keep the charity's work going. International development 
was one part of the equation, but even domestic programs required funding. In Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., a key priority was to offer WE schools resources free of charge so as not to increase the financial burden on already cash-strapped school systems. The same was true for WE Day, which was founded on the principle that it would not cost students anything to attend. And the organization also ensured that donations intended to support WE Charities' work overseas would not be used for WE Days or non-program-related costs like real estate acquisitions. So to support its many programs and initiatives, the charity instead turned to a funding source that brought its share of criticism, corporate partnerships. In the organization's early days, most of those partnerships happened in an organic way. Inspired by the Kilbergers and their mission, young people started Free the Children clubs in their own schools and began fundraising for campaigns to fight hunger and homelessness. Parents took notice of their children's newfound activism, and sometimes those parents turned out to be people in positions of power. Some of those people making personal contributions were presidents of companies or senior business leaders, explained Erin Burton, We Charity's former chief development officer for partnerships, and they were saying, hey, there's an opportunity here for my employees to get involved, for you to be our charity of choice. And so we started to see some employee-based fundraising, employee-based giving, and early campaigns or payroll deductions. And then that started to shift to full-time partnerships when these business leaders saw that there was a halo effect with their employees. People felt good and liked to know that they had an employer that cared that was giving back. John Levy, retired CEO and co-founder of Mastermind Toys, and his wife Karen Levy, a Mastermind executive for decades, told me that partnering with WE provided substantial benefits to both their employees and their customers. WE presented a platform where we could contribute financially while engaging our retail employees and customers in a meaningful way, John told me. Giving to charity is one thing, but to be able to inspire our staff is a different experience. It brought camaraderie to our stores, which can be stressful places for our employees, especially during the holidays. Collaborating with WE was in this way a gift that kept on giving. Mastermind also appreciated that the partnership allowed for flexibility in terms of where employee contributions were directed. We could do different things, John said, from helping fund medical programs in Kenya to supporting education and leadership camps for indigenous youth in Canada. We Charity was an early subscriber to the philosophy that global problems like poverty and climate change are best addressed by enlisting the support of private sector partners. In addition to seeking out institutional partners, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Skoll Foundation, 
and the McConnell Foundation, the organization looked for companies with the resources to enhance and expand the charity's existing programming and develop new initiatives. For instance, a strategic partnership with Microsoft provided tools like Skype pods to connect students in different communities around the world. When the pandemic later shut down schools, that virtual infrastructure made it possible for the organization to rapidly take educational resources online. The charity also worked with Walgreens, the U.S. drugstore chain, on a program called We Teachers, which gave educators grants to buy supplies for their classrooms. And through its partnership with TELUS, the Canadian telecommunications company, the organization was able to develop anti-bullying and internet safety resources that helped protect many Canadian children from harm. In the media, these types of relationships between large multinationals and charities have often been portrayed as a cynical attempt to burnish the reputations of the former through proximity to the latter. The idea is that if people see an organization they trust and admire partnering with a company they have reservations about, those reservations will diminish or even disappear. Host Mark Kelly made precisely this assertion on the Fifth Estate, asking Mark and Craig, were you concerned the corporations were trying to use you to some extent? Other journalists have also promoted this argument. In an October 2018 article for Canada Land, for example, Jaron Kerr wrote, the Kilbergers have built a brand that is synonymous with good works, a literal virtue signal. And a brand like that is valuable to corporations. I would argue that the charity used corporations, however, and not the other way around. As Greg Rogers, chair of We Charities Canadian Board and a retired educator and school administrator reminded me, We Schools programs would not have been possible without foundations and corporate sponsors full stop. We all know that these programs and resources cost money, and schools, some of which couldn't cover anything other than the basics, didn't have to pay a dime for any of it. At the same time, no one ever denied that benefits accrued to corporations from their association with we. This was not something whispered about in the shadows. The whole idea was that these partnerships could encourage businesses to become better corporate citizens. For example, the organization worked with Hershey's to support the company in its efforts to eliminate child labor from its supply chain. We Charity had experience in doing this and had previously built a supply chain for chocolate production in Ecuador that was without child labor and certified fair trade. And in recent years, Hershey's has made headway in addressing this serious problem, including by implementing a monitoring and remediation system that has had some success. More broadly, any corporation that donated money to support the charity's international development programs was helping to address the chronic poverty that is a root cause of child labor across the globe. 
But I understand the optics here. To some people, it just looks bad for a charity founded on the idea of ridding the world of child labor to partner with a company that is part of an industry that has not yet eliminated child labor from its supply chain. These are extremely complicated issues, and reasonable people can disagree on how best to persuade or force companies to mend their ways. We Charity viewed business as a necessary partner in change and believed in building symbiotic relationships in the quest for greater social good. The whole notion, Barton explained, is that through partnership, through friendship, through allyship, you have a greater ability to advocate and to influence change than you do when you're organizing a boycott or standing in a protest line. To my mind, engaging business in this way was also consistent with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which encourage partnerships with the private sector as a means of addressing social and environmental goals. This approach also takes into account the environmental, social, and governance, ESG criteria that many investors now use to judge whether companies are committed to ethical and socially conscious business practices. And isn't it a bit rich for journalists to criticize We Charity's corporate partnerships, which essentially involve businesses applauding the activism of young people, while their own columns appear alongside corporate ads that exist only to sell products. Or for news anchors to comment on the commercialization of We Days before unflinchingly turning to a commercial break. Let's be honest, corporate partnerships are hardly unusual in the nonprofit world. Almost every major charity in Canada engages with companies as both donors and partners in delivering programming. The Enbridge Ride to Conquer Cancer benefits the Princess Margaret Cancer Center. Scouts Canada is sponsored by Hydro One, IBM Canada, Canadian National Railway, and others. Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Canada is sponsored by Boston Pizza, Scotiabank, and Rogers. And for its part, We Charity had relationships with corporations like RBC, TELUS, KPMG, and Loblaws. All this said, We Charity's board never took any corporate partnerships lightly. During my tenure and long before, the organization's approach to these partnerships was the subject of plenty of discussion and debate. The board was full of people with diverse backgrounds who brought diverse views on the pros and cons of corporate engagement to the table. This deliberative approach translated into a rigorous vetting process for every potential corporate partnership. It involved five steps that weighed factors like corporations' overall vision and objectives, its commitment to promoting the charity's social mission, its brand reputation, and of course, its social responsibility practices, that is, environmental community relations 
and labor practices. Applying these standards, the organization declined to enter into partnerships with many corporations over the years. And if a corporate partner failed to live up to the charity standards at any time, we charity reserved the right to walk away. It's also worth noting that these corporate partners, companies like Microsoft, RBC, and KPMG, were carefully vetting We Charity as well. Each company did substantial diligence on the charity before signing any partnership agreement. This undercuts the claim that the organization was operating without proper oversight or that the Kilbergers were somehow enriching themselves at the charity's expense. These corporations were investing not just their money, but also their brand reputations in WE, and they would not have wanted to be associated with the dodgy organization. Some of the most sophisticated and brand-conscious companies in the world trusted WE Charity and the Kilbergers, and still do. It's not plausible that they all fell down on the job of assessing both WE Charity and Me to WE. WE Charity also had extensive protocols in place to limit the amount of corporate marketing to which children were exposed. For example, the organization worked with local school boards and teachers to produce the WE Schools classroom resources and keep sponsor recognition to an absolute minimum. Most companies got no more than a mention on the spine of a binder or a thank you on the landing page of a website. At WE Days, corporate partners were recognized but could speak only to the social or environmental causes their companies were actively engaged on. We never allowed WE Day to be just a place where you're trying to sell a phone or where you're trying to sell ice cream, said Barton. It was always about telling the story of good that your company is doing. A platform, not a cause. Yet even We Day came under fire as the intense media scrutiny increased. The Fifth Estate broadcast an interview with a former staff member who briefly held an entry-level position in 2007. He said that in his view, students who attended We Day events were a product being sold to corporate partners. It was a chance for the organization to say, look at the access we have to all these future consumers that now are going to be exposed to your brand, he said, likening we to Facebook and other social media companies. But the analogy doesn't make any sense. Facebook harvests information about you and sells companies access to you through targeted advertising. The only thing being advertised by corporate partners at We Days was their solidarity with young changemakers and their commitment to social causes. The idea that teenagers would be so moved by seeing the CEO of Allstate on stage that they would buy insurance from the company a decade later is laughable. Some journalists went so far as to suggest that the charity used We Days, and particularly A-list celebrity speakers, to manipulate young people. This was the theory, for example, behind the July 2020 article in Flair by self-proclaimed social media enthusiast 
June Findlay. She claimed that we targeted what she described as the coveted, keyed-up, and impressionable demographic of people aged 13 to 19 and using communication strategies more commonly seen in politics, convinced them to devote their time and money, and in some cases lives, to a cause or organization they likely didn't know or care about before. This brand of charitainment, Finlay wrote, was beneficial for the celebrities, the halo effect again, and for the charity whose profile was raised. But it used the desires of young people who wanted to make a difference to reinforce Western views of who gets to be saved, who gets to do the saving, and most of all, who benefits from it all. Finlay's piece frustrated me more than perhaps any other article published during the whole scandal, and that's saying something. It did not include the voice of a single teacher or student, not one. It dismissed the volunteer work done by young people to get we days as a few acts of goodwill, treated them as inherently shallow. You heard a pretty moving story about a girl in Kenya, and you sat through some semi-boring speeches, then finally got to see Sean Mendez perform live and called tracking the global impact of your spending, a gamification of the process. In the end, she pondered, why are we and other charities like it even necessary when kids get everything they need from endless access to information and inspiration via social media? Aside from having a somewhat different position as a parent on the supposed benefits of social media, I found this viewpoint insulting and condescending to everyone concerned, the celebrities whom Finlay dismissed as opportunists who had no real interest in the causes they promoted, the young people whom she portrayed as too suggestible and ill-informed to know their own minds, the teachers who she seemed to think could not be trusted to know what is best for their students, and the Kilbergers, who were depicted as self-aggrandizers with a savior complex. Could any of this be true? As a board member, I went to many wee days over the years. I brought my son and my family and my friends. I didn't do so to expose them to corporations or let them be used. I brought them because I saw the redeeming value in what was happening. My fellow directors, including retired school board representatives, who collectively had responsibility for educating millions of students in Canada and the U.S. over decades, did the same thing. I believe that the cynical assessment offered by Finlay, the Fifth Estate, and other critics, who either purposely or obliviously failed to include the perspective of teachers and students is an invitation to be misinformed. But for many Canadians already facing a deluge of negative coverage relating to we and the CSSG, particularly those who had never attended a we day or looked at we school's curricula, it was easy for misperceptions to take hold. I fondly recall my first WE Day as a board member. 
the 2017 We Day UN in New York. Thousands of kids piled into the theater at Madison Square Garden to listen to the likes of former Liberian president and Nobel Peace Prize winner Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, former Irish president and UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, executive director of UN Women Pumzele Malambo Nuka, Chelsea Clinton, Whoopi Goldberg, and yes, Justin Trudeau and his mother Margaret. The high-profile speakers were interspersed with more than a dozen teachers and students who spoke with great passion about the obstacles they had overcome and the power of young people to make a difference even when the odds were tough. Much of the focus was on the empowerment of women and girls as a key to achieving international sustainable development goals. The Globe and Mail captured the moment. As world leaders discussed the flight of refugees, drug trafficking, and human rights violations at the United Nations General Assembly, thousands of young people gathered at the theater at Madison Square Garden with an optimistic view of the future. And those young people were not just there to listen. They screamed back, they sang, they danced, and I sensed that they went home full of purpose and a conviction that whatever their circumstances, they too could be somebody. Personally, I was very inspired, but also happy to find an Advil lurking in my briefcase. What I loved most about We Day and We School's programming too was that it was cause inclusive. This was a principle that meant a great deal to me and other board members. There was no need to sell We Charity. We Charity was selling a vision of doing good through other organizations. Former board member David Stillman summed it up well. The ultimate objective, he said, was always to support young people in getting involved in causes, whatever they were. If they said, we are really passionate about the Native American population in our state, we had a way that students could learn more through their clubs and in the classroom. Other kids might have been more passionate about battling cancer or protecting the environment. We wanted to encourage kids to engage more deeply with their causes the charity wasn't a cause, it offered a platform. Talent plus passion equals change. To get some perspective on how the celebrities themselves saw things, I went straight to the President of the United States, Josiah Bartlett, on TV's The West Wing. Please call me Martin, said Martin Sheen, as we started our interview. I was admittedly a little nervous talking to a screen legend, but he made it easy. He was humble and disarming, and he wanted to talk about systemic racism, the current state of politics, my work as a lawyer, and everything in between. Testimonial, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen is a versatile and critically acclaimed actor best known for his roles in films like Apocalypse Now and The Departed, and for playing the American president on the West Wing. But he's equally passionate about his political activism, 
and has been a tireless campaigner for nuclear disarmament, environmentalism, and youth empowerment, among many other issues. Acting is what I do for a living. Activism is what I do to stay alive. As the child of immigrant parents, I've been involved in social justice for as long as I can remember. From trying to unionize my fellow golf course employees at the age of 14, to getting arrested while protesting President Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative, the first of many activism-related arrests in my lifetime. Because of this, I've always been a big believer in ordinary people coming together in movements to make a difference. People often say we need to create a better world for our children. I think it's actually the other way around. We must raise our children to be better for the world. I first met Craig and Mark Kilberger in the late 90s, and their mission of empowering young people to make a difference inspired me. Over the past 10 years, I've had the honor of speaking at We Days across Canada, including Toronto, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, which I'd never heard of before, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Hamilton, Montreal, and Halifax. It's given me the opportunity to see more of this beautiful country and speak to thousands of inspiring young changemakers. This is what sets We Day apart from other events. While most charity events with celebrities honor the stars, at We Day, the celebrities are there to honor and thank the young people for their hard work and inspire them to keep making a difference. I always felt that We Days were one of Canada's greatest exports, and I'm thrilled at how the We Movement took hold in America. Nothing is more important to me than inspiring young people. The next generation will change the world for the better, which is why I've always carved out time to stay involved. Sometimes filming dates have to be pushed back or shuffled around, but it's always worth it to be part of something so life-changing. Although this is the end of one chapter, We Charity has sparked a passion for activism in millions of young people around the world, and that is enduring. Sheen told me he first became aware of Free the Children when he saw 13-year-old Craig interviewed on 60 Minutes in 1996. He said he was in awe of the teenager's passion and commitment. I thought, oh my God, who is this young man? Craig left an impression, so much so that when the two men finally met years later, Sheen's first thought was, oh my God, he's that guy. They bonded and soon the legendary actor had been invited to speak at a We Day event in Canada. All told, Sheen appeared on stage at 13 We Days in both Canada and the U.S. He also became a regular at many events to raise funds and awareness for the organization. When I asked Sheen what We Day meant to him, he said it was life-changing. It was very gratifying. The event itself, these huge arenas are packed to the gills, and all these kids are having a great time, and they deserve it. You can't buy a ticket. You're invited there because you've served the community 
on some level. He also surprised me by saying that he found public speaking nerve-wracking and often felt daunted by the prospect. Interestingly, this appears to be a family phobia. Sheen's son, Emilio Estevez, had told me when I met him at We Events in New York years earlier that he experienced the same butterflies. But Sheen got over it because he said, it gave me a sense of keeping a commitment and it made him aware of how confident you must be with your principles, with what you believe. He wrote all his own speeches and enjoyed getting the chance to play himself rather than a character. And We Day was different than other celebrity charity engagements, he told me. We had the insight to see the merit in using a celebrity not to sell a product, but to present an idea. And that, to my mind, was the real value of having celebrities at We Day. It's not unusual to see celebrity ambassadors supporting causes. Major charities like Oxfam, Care, and World Vision have all used famous individuals as spokespersons. Even the United Nations deploy stars like Angelina Jolie and Emma Watson as goodwill ambassadors. I can't comment on whether these organizations do this right or whether most charities do it wrong. But with We, it wasn't just charitainment. Celebrities weren't on the We Day stage simply to call attention to the charity or encourage people to donate or make sure the kids had a good time. It was bigger than that. They introduced young people to a wide range of causes, most of which had nothing to do with We. They were not there to sell anything or to self-promote. They were there to inspire and to encourage doing good. You can see this is in the nostalgia of 20-somethings like Aza Abid, who you will recall from earlier in the book started Aza's Teddy Bear Foundation after years of being inspired by We. Asked for her favorite celebrity moment, she said it was seeing Marley Matlin, the Academy Award-winning actor who lost much of her hearing as an infant. Instead of clapping at her speech, the 20,000 young people in the arena signed back at Matlin, who had been communicating with them in American Sign Language. That does not strike me as the reflection of someone who went gaga for celebrities, was influenced by corporate partners, and missed the point of it all. Linda Rozier, a WE board member, from 2013 to 2015 and co-founder of Concept3 advertising agency, told me that at every We Day, she loved asking the young audience members who had inspired them the most. It warmed my heart that their answers would always be the elder heroes like Romeo Dallier and Ellie Wiesel, not their favorite rock stars who had performed. Somehow, the youth at We Day were innately drawn to the messages and sincerity of these true humanitarian heroes who had seen and been through so much and who conveyed to them, we need a better world. And I'm happy to be here to speak with you and to help guide you in making that better world. In fact, the celebrities were often starstruck by the young people they saw in the crowd and thus felt compelled to do more work 
with We Charity. NBA star Magic Johnson, for one, pledged to donate a million dollars to the organization after speaking on the We Day stage. So did singer Nellie Furtado. And some celebrities like Lily Singh, Natalie Portman, and Demi Lovato encouraged their fans to get involved, took trips to visit the charity's international projects, and even designed products that could be made in We Charity partner communities. Ruben Borba, now a high school teacher with the Toronto Catholic District School Board, understands the power of We Day Well. As a grade eight student, he had the chance to go to the Toronto event with his school. It was clear from the way he spoke about the experience that it had stuck with him for all these years and even inspired him to become a teacher. Today, he brings the messages he came away with into his classroom. Going to We Day as a student and seeing so many other young people also feel empowered to really make a difference opened my eyes. And now, as a teacher, it has affected how I try to run my classes, he explained. I never think of it as my classroom. It's our classroom. The students and I are a community. We are a small community within a larger community, within a larger world community. And so I always try to help my students feel like they have a voice in the classroom, which is something I felt at We Day when I was a student. This idea of feeling empowered to make a difference, of making doing good doable, was something teacher Joanne Dezus specifically mentioned to me when I asked her to talk about the impact We Days had on her two daughters, Ashley and Emma, whom we met back in Chapter 2. The girls, alongside their classmates and groupmates, have really tried to take the equation of talent plus passion equals change and put it into action, Jesus explained. This is consistent with the inspirational messages that they had heard attending We Day's We Day Family and Canada We Day. People shared their stories of passion paired with their talents to make meaningful change. Small impacts, together adding up to meaningful differences in the world and the ability and potential that each young person brings. Through We Charity's local initiatives, I've seen community building and connections formed that involve young people in actively impacting their community. From their global initiatives, I've seen how it has broadened Ashley and Emma's worldview and developed their understanding and responsibility of becoming global citizens. This is what I've seen celebrated and encouraged through We Days and all the programming Ashley and Emma have been fortunate to be a part of. To better understand how We Days translated into the real change Joanne Dezus saw in her daughters, I reached out to Noah Manduk, a management consultant who specializes in helping nonprofit organizations build their brands to accelerate impact. He is the president of Durable Good and the former chief strategy officer of the Jeff School Group, and he understands very well the power of celebrity. 
I asked him to explain the relationship between A-listers and social activism. When you take Bono or Elton John or other huge public figures that have used their celebrity to drive social impact, you see authenticity and relevance. Elton John takes up issues that are near and dear to his heart and then uses his relationships to galvanize others to engage in those issues. He influences policy and influences decision-making and behavior. Manduke said that in his view, We Days were a great example of an organization leveraging celebrities for social purpose. He thought We Days were the most innovative part of the charity's programming because they blended popular culture and good citizenship and made it cool for kids to care. When Demi Lovato comes out on stage or when Selena Gomez comes out there, these icons are relevant to the causes they endorse. And that's what I thought was really interesting about the WE model. They brought out figures that young people could relate to. Driving engagement isn't easy to do, but WE Charity was especially good at it through both WE Days and its Canadian and American school programs. The organization had even hired Mission Measurement, a U.S. consulting firm that helps nonprofits analyze their social impact to assess its results and identify avenues for improvement. The firm's founder and CEO, Jason Saul, told me that he uses data to determine if an organization is being as efficient and effective as possible. He repeatedly emphasized that the data speaks for itself. Saul's data showed that WE School's alumni were twice as likely as their non-WE peers to volunteer in their communities and raise awareness about social issues. They were also more likely to be confident public speakers, two times more likely, to be seen as leaders in their schools and social groups, 1.8 times more likely, and to be looked at by their peers as creative problem solvers, 1.5 times more likely. They had a deeper understanding of global issues, and as young adults, they were far more likely to vote in elections. Although he leaves it to others to draw qualitative conclusions, Saul says that to his mind, this shows that We Schools produces outcomes that can make kids better students, more likely to get into college, more likely to vote, get a better job, become a better leader, become more committed, and become passionate and effective human beings. What's most frustrating to me is that you would never learn any of this if you were getting all your information about We Charity from what you read in the papers or on social media or saw on the TV news. The damaging allegations about the manipulation of children were made by people who likely never went to a We Day and never fairly considered the views of teachers or students who did. But I did both, and rarely did I hear someone raving only about how much they loved Sean Mendez's performance or how thrilled they were to see Jennifer Hudson in person. I certainly never heard a single We Day participant gushing about buying a car from Ford 
or a phone from TELUS. All I saw was young people inspired to make a difference in the world. The outcomes identified by Mission Measurement were exactly the kind of meaningful change Joanne Dezus saw in her own kids. But to my knowledge, no journalist ever cited that work or contacted Jason Saul to better understand the charity's impact. No one interviewed Ruben Borba. No one called Aza Abed. No one asked Linda Rosier for her perspective. No one reached out to me. Heck, no one even called Martin Sheen. Worse still, when journalists did talk to young people and ask for their views, any positive feedback was simply omitted from the coverage. That's exactly what happened to Ashley and Emma. The twins talk a mile a minute and buzz with energy. When I interviewed them, I could barely get a word in. We Charity was a huge part of their lives, and they had a lot to say about the organization. So when the CBC's Fifth Estate agreed to interview them, they couldn't wait to share their perspective. They couldn't have been more disappointed with what happened next. As Ashley explained, it seemed as though the reporter had a viewpoint that was very biased and predetermined, and both sisters felt that she was searching for sound bites that showed we were only involved with We For The Celebrities, or that we thought there were too many ads at We Day. When they disagreed, the interviewer kept pushing. The twins had the impression that it was almost like they were trying to catch us off guard. The twins and their mother never heard back from the Fifth Estate, and they assumed that the show had gone with other young voices, which was fine. I know a lot of young people from the We Charity Youth Advisory Council who would have been phenomenal and could speak to all different aspects of the charity, Ashley told me, but they were crushed when the hour-long documentary finally aired and they realized no students were included at all. Nor did the show include any teachers or anyone who had participated in any of the charity's programming. They had to watch it twice to believe it. Talking over each other and in unison at times, Ashley and Emma said, it was quite a shock seeing the video and realizing that no young people's voices were shared or heard. The saddest part of this story, in my view, was the twins' loss of faith in the media and the CBC in particular. In school, they tell you to always learn both sides of the story, and our teachers suggest going to the CBC as a big source. So this was a real ouch moment, Ashley said. Emma agreed. It was weird that they seemed to give us no voice. This was supposed to be a reputable program that shows both sides and be the truth. But that's not really what happened. Thank you for listening. You can download more episodes of What We Lost wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about Tafik Rangwala's national bestseller, or to buy the book, visit whatwelost.com and discover the real story behind the CSSG controversy.